watching that. Why didn't you respond to me? I, I said goodnight. Honey, I'm trying to get your attention. All right, can you just give me one second, all right? This is good. It's a Scottish guy throwing a log. For the championship. Would you turn it off, please? All right. into your parents. Okay, which one am I? <laughs> I've got some news for you, Ray. Your sex drive is diminishing. Well, if you're my mom, what do you expect? <laughs> I'm serious, Ray. Look, I, I used to have to fend you off every night. Now it's down to less than once a week. No, it's not. Yes, it is, no, it's not. Yes, it is, Ray. Oh, yeah? Well, maybe if I'm trying less, it's because of all the rejection. Huh? Yeah, I'm like the, the monkey who gets shocked every time he reaches for the pellet. Do you realize... For the last 20 years, your parents have only had sex once a year. What? Who told you that? Your mother. What? 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 Why did you talk about that? She saw the sex book, and we just started talking, and she told me. Well, why are you telling me? Because you're turning into your father. Listen, things started slowing down for them when they were the age that we are now. We're not them. I just kissed you, rubbed your chest, kissed you again in an impure manner. You never took your eyes off the TV. Uh, ten years ago, all I had to do was be awake. Sometimes not even that. I'm still... I'm still... Sex machine? Come on. It was just today, you know, today. It was a long day, and the kids uh, had a heavy meal. You know what? I don't need excuses. Come on, let's go, right now. Me and you. Let's go. Mano a little mano. No, I don't want to do it just because you want to prove something. I don't want to prove something. I just love to sex you up. Right. No. You know, you never want to talk about anything. I, I'm ready now. I'm... <laughs> the monkey never learns. All right. How many of you um, learned about sex from your parents? Let me see your hands. Not many. Am I on all the way? Okay. It's coming out? Okay. How many of you learned about sex from your church? 
Wow, even fewer. I don't see any hands. Am I missing something? Now, some of you are wondering why we would talk about sex in church. And, it's, and even though we are this church where we've said we are real people with real problems and God's Word contains real answers to our real problems, it seems like every time I mention the S word in church, people start getting nervous. And, uh, you know, Alex mentioned that we weren't going to talk to each other about our sex lives. And, like, and then he mentioned the cartoon character and we thought, you know, why don't you... You compare your sex life to a cartoon character. No, 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 that's bad, bad. Don't go there. If you're going to do that, certainly don't tell your spouse. Um, here's the reason we're doing this. Because we've done some surveys in the church. And by the way, the last survey we did on this was months ago. And I'm telling you that in advance because so, I don't want you looking around trying to figure out who's in which category here in the church. Yeah. We did some surveys about sex in our church between our, our, in, our, in our marriages. And what we found out was that the average... Uh, satisfaction with the sex life in, in marriages in our church is less than a five on a scale of ten. And there were even, even some zeros and ones when it came to the sex life thing. And we found out that, that this is a critical area in our marriages. And if our parents didn't tell us, and in our, if our churches didn't tell us, where are we getting information about what an appropriate sex life is? TV, movies, Hollywood... Are those people normal? No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time today looking into God's Word, trying to figure out um, what God has to say about it, because here's the clue. God created sex. God is pro-sex as long as it's in marriage. And there's some reasons for that. And uh, if your sex life is not sizzling, if it's fizzling, then maybe, um, maybe you should try to do things God's way. Because that's what we try to do. We try to present this problem. We say there are answers to it. If we'll do it God's way, amazing things will happen. So why not give it a try? If your way is not working, why not give God's way a try? Experts tell us that um, the first three years of marriage, after those first three years, that there is a serious decline in intimacy, both sexual and emotional intimacy closeness in married couples. And there's a, there's a term for those years, and it's called the working years. Because you move past um, the honeymoon, one or both of you are starting your careers, and it's long about the third, fourth, fifth year that um, we add children to the mix. And do children enhance your sex life? No. Children increase pressure, and it, it becomes more difficult to have a sex life. And, and a child is very self-centered, and, and they want your attention, and so you've got to work and train them, and, and it just adds to it. And you know what happens after the third year when that, when that um, intimacy declines? You know what normal American couples do, what each person does? They blame their spouse. Can't be me because I'm so normal. Actually, I'm above normal. It's got to be my spouse. And then we keep doing that for a few years, and, the, and the, the distance between us enlarges to the point that around year seven, we begin to think that maybe we married the wrong person. And if we leave it at that, we drift further and further apart. And, and by the way, the next couple of weeks, we are going to look at uh, where relationships are in crisis we're going to discover where you are. And it starts at dream stage and it goes, we're going to have this mountain, this picture of a mountain, and we're going to help you diagnose where your relationship is because if you are not on the top of that mountain at the dream stage, guess what? You are moving one direction or the other in your marriage and the one direction that's going down the mountain 
ends up in emotional divorce and eventually physical divorce, and we don't want to do that. God's Word has answers for that as well. So the next two weeks, we're going to help you understand how to move your your marriage from wherever it is back to that dream phase, which is the top of the mountain. And if that sounds like something you need or some of your friends need or some of your family members need, do everything you can to get them here because we're going to try to help you understand that. And we want marriages not just to exist, not just to endure. We want thriving marriages, right? Is that what you want? Oh, yeah. All right. They're from the newlywed. Um, All right. Now, sex to a marriage is like um, much like a fire in a fireplace is to a home. Now, if you take that fire, and, and we love fires in our home, we love, to, love them in the fireplace, um, if you tend to that fire, things go well. But if you, if you neglect that fire and, and close the screen, you know, safety precautions, the fire's going to dwindle and die, right? But if you, if you tend to that fire, make sure it gets enough oxygen, make sure it gets enough fuel, make sure that you keep all of the embers there in the center and you add that new fuel to it, what happens to that fire? It burns white hot. Anybody here want your sex life to burn white hot? Okay, a couple of you. Yeah, the rest of you can go ahead and go. Those who really want the good sex life, hang around for a few minutes and we'll talk about that. Now, if you want that to happen, then you're going to have to be trained by the creator of sex. And that's God Himself. And uh, most people assume that 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 the Bible is silent when it comes to sex. I've got to tell you that the Bible is shockingly explicit when it comes to sex. The church has been silent, but the Bible is not silent on sex. And, and in fact, I want you to, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 5, and in just a minute we're going to open up the, the, the sex book, which is Song of Solomon. If you've never done that study, get Tommy Nelson's study uh, on the Song of Solomon and, and do that with your spouse, and I guarantee you, you will move several steps in the right direction in your relationship sexually with your spouse. Now, chapter 5 of, of Proverbs. Proverbs is a wisdom book. It's just a collection of wise sayings, and if you don't know where Proverbs is, go to Psalms, which is right about in the middle, and then hang a right, and you'll come up with Proverbs, and then you can just kind of stay there, and in a few minutes, we're going to hang a right and go to the Song of Solomon. But Proverbs chapter 5, and I just need to tell you the context of this. When you start at the first of Proverbs, it's in my, uh, I've got a study Bible at home, it's the New American Standard, and it's, it's, it's what looks like a preaching Bible. So when I do weddings or funerals, I usually carry that because it looks like an official Bible. This is my, my student's life application Bible. I read it a lot because it's got a lot of good information in it. But in this Bible it says, the heading is, The Pitfalls of Immorality. And it lists, the first 14 verses of chapter 5 talk about how foolish we are if we are immoral. And it talks about how we are supposed to stay away from the adulterous woman because she will take you down. And then right in the middle of this chapter, in uh, verses 15 through 19, it talks about that marriage is not only an option for our sex drive, it is the only option. It is the best way to live. And so right in the middle of this, he says, "Drink, drink from your own cistern. Not sister, cistern, which means it's a, it's a metaphor. It's Hebrew poetry, and he's talking about have sex with your own wife. Because in their mind, nobody would dare go to a neighbor's cistern 
Because they had their own. It would make no sense to go and drink, drink from their well. It would make no sense to take water from that well and just chunk it out in the streets. And the Bible says that's what you're doing if you have sex with an adulterous woman or man. Don't think this is just one way here. And then it says this. This is great. In, in uh, verses 18 and 19. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. It says breasts in the Bible? Show me more! I need to read more of this stuff. Now, you've got to understand, Hebrew poetry. Symbolic, right? Any of you enjoy poetry in, in, like in high school and college? Can't stand it myself. Now, God creates us all differently. And the reason I can't stand it is because I, I can't understand it. What? So I had to study all of this stuff, man, and figure out what he's talking about. May your fountain be blessed. All right, to a Hebrew, when you pronounced a blessing on his fountain, it had nothing to do with a birdbath in the backyard. The fountain for a Hebrew was, was how you, you um, procreated, how you got to the next generation. If they pronounce a blessing on you, basically, I'm, this is how I would say it. May your sex organs be blessed. Or let's get more graphic. May your genitals be blessed. That's what the Bible says. What? That's what it's saying. So a Hebrew is going, okay, may you be blessed. It means may you procreate. Okay. Now, some of you grew up in churches where they said the only thing that sex was good for was having children. The next phrase here blows that out of the water. Check it out. May your fountain be blessed, may your sexual organs be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Okay, rejoicing sounds more like I'm having a good time than just enduring something or just trying to produce children. But it gets better than that, because check out the next one. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. Now, the whole idea is that in their mind... They are comparing, the writer of Proverbs is comparing a woman's breast. They're tender, they're delicate, like a graceful doe, a deer. And he's enjoying looking at them. It's his wife's. <laughs> Don't get to look at anybody else's graceful deer. It's your wife's breasts. It says it right here. May her breasts satisfy you always. Talking about the sex drive. God created us with a sex drive and I'm glad He did. Don't ever say, I don't want to have my sex drive. Just say, I want to channel it and do it God's way. Because when you do, man, the rewards are great. Um, see, this doesn't sound anything like the Bible teaching I got in Sunday school growing up in a fundamental Baptist church. In my church, it was, only demon people have sex. Don't have sex, don't have sex, don't look at a girl. And, and I remember in, in Sunday school, them telling me all this stuff, and I'm going, and, and I said, why? Demon child! <laughs> and so I'm going through my life confused, going, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. Oh, sex is bad. But then having these desires going, I'm bad, I'm bad. Because nobody told me sex within marriage is great, and God celebrates it. And... uh I remember when, when evangelists used to come to town, we used to have these revivals, and we'd go out to the football stadium, and, and Borger, where I grew up, is about the size of Palestine, a little bit bigger. So we'd go to the football stadium, and you'd pack in one side, and you'd have this guy, kind of like a, a mini version of, of Billy Graham, and he would preach, and there would always be a youth night, and this was before pizza was so prolific, you know, that's what we feed teenagers on youth night now, but you would go, you didn't even get food back then, you'd go, and, and they would do this talk, and then they would advertise all week long that there's going to be a 
teenagers, a youth-only sex talk. And they're like, man, we are going to tell you about sex. And I remember thinking, I'm glad somebody's going to. And every time, every time one came, I was one year too young to go to the sex talk. I'm not kidding. Every year they would move it up and I'm going, somebody tell me. And you know who finally told me? My friends. Pornography. Pornographic movies. That's where I learned about sex. And that's not healthy. And, and if you think of it this way, pornography is like taking water out of that toilet back there and drinking it. How many of you want to drink from my toilet? It's fairly new. <laughs> Nobody wants to drink from That's what pornography is to your mind. It is the same thing as drinking water from the toilet, and it will destroy your mind. And the only way to counteract that is to begin to put God's Word in your mind to overcome those images, to overcome that, so that God's Word gets a grip on your mind and not the pornographic images. Now, the idea is that in these verses, may sexual pleasure sizzle for you and your mate until death. Yeah! I I heard about... um, there was a marriage conference. I don't even remember who the speaker was, and, and they were having a question and answer thing with the guy on the stage. And one of the questions came up, somebody in the back room, they said, How old are you when you no longer want to have sex? Obviously, this was a young couple. And, uh, and the, the speaker kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit, and he goes, Well, it varies from person to person. This 83 year old man on the second row raises his hand. They bring him the, spe- the microphone, and he goes, I don't know, but it's sometime after 83. <laughs> and I'm like, that, I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. Um, when Janie and I got married, all we'd ever been told was that sex was bad. Sex was bad. Bad people have sex. Bad people have sex. And so we remember going to our, our hotel and sitting there on our, on our wedding night, and talking about the fact that one hour ago, this was not okay. But now, because my brother preacher said, now, in the eyes of God and by the power of God and the laws of this state, I now pronounce you husband and wife, now it's okay. And it took us months to overcome some of this strict negative teaching that we had had growing up to, to understand that God's intention is for your sex life to thrive in marriage. And, and that's where I, what I want for you is to realize um, that God is for it in marriage. Well, why aren't people experiencing good sex? We, we kind of discussed this this week. It's either you, you had some really uh, strict teaching from a church, maybe you grew up in, and you're, you're having trouble overcoming that. Um, it may be that, um, that one or both of the couples, I know couples, and in fact, a girl in my youth group years ago, she and her husband are separated right now because she has a physiological problem that it hurts when she has sex, and there is problems in their marriage because they cannot have the type of sex that God intended. There is a physical problem. One or both of you may have a physical problem. It may be, I know emotional um, things that have happened. People have been raped and they've been abused and, and they hate sex nowadays because it's tied in their mind to something horrible that happened to them years ago. But let's be dead level honest. Most of us are not in those situations. Most of the time, the reason that we are not having good sex 
guys, is us. Oh, shoot. It's hoping it's hurt. Because God created women to be responders. And if I am critical and negative towards my wife, guess what I get back from her? Not really negative, but I may get kind of the cold distance. My wife's too nice to be negative most of the time. She reflects back to me what I give to her. If I am kind and tender and and serving her, you know what I get back from her? Same thing. So guys, we've got to learn uh, from God's Word. We need to look into the mirror of God's Word and say, what am I doing wrong and what do I need to do right? And that's what we're going to look at right now. So if you have your Bibles, hang a right and go over to Song of Solomon. You'll get to Ecclesiastes and then Song of Solomon is coming up. And I want you to go to chapter 4. We are going to look at the story. God, God um, put this in the Bible on purpose. And, uh, and it's kind of funny because back when I was in fifth grade, my teacher was the organist at First Baptist Church Borger. And so she knew me and she knew I was a demon child and I did all kinds of bad stuff. And uh, always in trouble. Never intentionally. I mean, I didn't think through this stuff. But this one day, I, I always went to church and fell asleep on my mama's shoulder. Because our, our preacher was long, man. And so I'd fall asleep, and I always was trained. I mean, you can, you can train yourself to do this. When he would say, let's stand for closing prayer, I would hear, you know, whatever, turn to your Bibles, let's stand for closing prayer, and I would wake up and stand. I mean, that was my, my experience with church. And I knew we, in, in our fifth grade class, they would, we had a Bible reading every day, and, and it rotated. And so my buddy was sitting across from me. You talk about demon child. He thought it through all the demon stuff that we used to do. I was just like, okay. Um, and so he was sitting across from me and he goes, dude, I don't know what to read today. It's my turn to read. All I had heard the night before was Song of Solomon before I fell asleep on my mama's shoulder. And so I said, dude, read Song of Solomon. And he goes, okay. So he looks it up in the front and he goes to Song of Solomon. He starts reading. Well, Demon Child starts reading about breasts and what you do with those and all that stuff. He gets tickled. When he gets tickled, I get tickled. I'm the one that went to the principal's office and got a busting because I'm the one that told... Anyway, this, that was my first experience with Song of Solomon. I hope, hope this one will be better. This is... They've gone across the threshold. They're in the honeymoon suite and, and they are about to consummate the marriage. Verse 1. How beautiful you are, my beloved. How beautiful. Your eyes behind your veils are like dove, doves. Your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats frisking down the slopes of Gilead. Now, this is the first night together, and and Solomon is a man with a plan. He begins to verbally caress his wife. And again, because this is poetry and I didn't understand it, I had to study it, and I'm going to try to help you understand what's going on here. Now, how many times did he tell her she was beautiful in the first verse? Two times. Is that a good thing to hear, ladies? You're beautiful, yes. He tells her she's beautiful. Now, Middle Eastern women would never wear a veil except to their wedding. So they would have this veil on and they would never take that veil off until they were in the wedding chamber, till they were about to consummate their marriage. So Solomon looks at her behind the veil, begins to take the veil off of her. And the first thing he sees is her eyes. And he says, oh, you are beautiful. And your eyes are like doves. Now, doves were a symbol of purity. The eyes are the window to the soul. He's looking into her soul, and this is a representation of her virginity that they have protected throughout the dating relationship. And he says, you are pure, you are unstained, you are untainted, you are beautiful. And then he continues. 
Her hair is like a flock of goats descending Mount Gilead. Now, guys, I don't think you should tell when your wife is about to disrobe in front of you, do not say, hey, baby, you look like a goat. That's going to slam on the brakes and you will not get any that night. Okay? Now, here's what's going on. Uh, She would be wearing a, a wedding cap as well. So... Not only is Solomon caressing her verbally, he begins to move in and undress her. So he's touching her tenderly. He's talking to her tenderly. He's reassuring her that she is the love of his life. When he removes the wedding cap, she probably had long, black, flowing hair. Middle Eastern women mostly do. So as, she, as he took off the wedding cap, the hair descended down her shoulders, and it was good-looking hair. And what he said was, you remind me of the flocks of black goats that are coming down Mount Gilead at sunset. Incredible scene. And if you're the owner of those goats, that's money, that's security, and it is beautiful to you, the long flowing hair. And he says, you are like that to me. He's doing good so far, isn't he? Yeah. Okay. Now, he's touching her, he's caressing her, he probably begins to come in for her neck and nuzzle her. And let me show you how I know that. Oh, wait, wait, before that, verse 2, how does she respond? Look at verse 2. Your teeth are as white as sheep, newly shorn and washed. I guess that's pretty good. They are perfectly matched, one of my favorites. Not one of them is missing. I had a friend, my, one of my best friends used to be youth minister outside of Branson, Missouri. And, uh, you know, we used to trade Louisiana and Arkansas and Missouri jokes. And so he calls me up one day and he goes, hey, Wash, guess what, dude? He goes, you know how you, you compliment a smiling, smiling Missouri bride? And I said, how? And he goes, nice tooth. <laughs> now, I'm just, I'm just repeating. I've not been to Missouri. Is Stanley up here? Okay. You from Missouri? All right. All right. I'm just repeating what I was told. You know, this one he's going, nice teeth. <laughs> They all have their twin. You have good oral hygiene, and that is great for romance. Um, remember that. I was reading in this one book, and this dude's got to be out to lunch because he was talking about rolling over in the morning and begin kissing your wife. And, get, and I'm like, morning breath. No. Brush teeth, then do it. That's okay. I'm okay with that. So nice teeth, he says. Now, guys, he's looking at her teeth. They're, 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 they're nice. And you know what he does next? Verse 3. Your lips. Oh, are like a ribbon of scarlet. How beautiful your mouth, your cheeks behind your veil are like pomegranate halves, lovely and delicious. Now, how could he see her teeth? She's smiling. She's liking it. She's digging this guy. And now we know she likes it even better because he says your cheeks are what, what color are pomegranate halves? Red. She's blushing. She's beginning to tingle. Oh, oh this guy is good, man. <laughs> now, he kisses her on the mouth, and he keeps moving down. Now, guys, i just got to be honest with you. When I get in close to Janie's lips, I'm gone. I've told you she's like the best kisser ever. And if I start describing all this stuff, you know, and I, I'm in close, and you got good-looking lips, baby, kiss me, you know. <laughs> but Solomon doesn't stop there. He keeps going down. Check it out. Verse 4. Your neck is as stately as the Tower of David, jeweled with the shields of a thousand heroes. All right. Now, she's probably wearing a necklace. And when he makes reference to the Tower of David, the Tower of David was one of the most incredible archaeological um, buildings in the whole nation, and the whole nation took pride in it because King David, greatest king in the nation's history. 
The Tower of David represents the security and, and God's blessing on the whole nation. And then inside the tower, the only shields that were allowed to be put on the wall were the most valiant warriors. You had to prove your, your valor in battle. You had to prove your loyalty to that king. And, then you, and only then you were honored by putting your shield on the wall. And Solomon says to his bride, You are as majestic and wonderful and awesome to me as the Tower of David. And you have a queenly presence about you. Think she liked it, girls? Yeah, yeah. Now, um, at this point we realize that she's probably wearing the necklace and nothing else. And how I know is verse 5. Your breasts are like twin fawns of a gazelle. Feeding among the lilies. I don't even know what that means. Um, here's the idea. Her breasts look good. You know, it goes back to Proverbs chapter 5. Let her breasts always satisfy you. May you be intoxicated with her love. He's checking her out and she is naked and she's not ashamed. When's the last time in the Bible that you heard reference to somebody being naked and not ashamed? Genesis, the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, when they were created, they were naked and they were not ashamed. When they became ashamed is after they sinned and rebelled against God. These two have done things God's way. And so when, when he begins to disrobe her, this is the gift of God to him, his spouse. They're about to consummate the marriage and he is unwrapping the gift and there is no shame and that's how it should be when we do things God's way. She's ready and, and, having, and, and she's enjoying this whole thing. See, Saul has a plan for lovemaking, and women like man who, men who have a plan. He starts with her head, hair, cheek, cheeks, eyes, teeth, neck, and breasts. Saul knew what he was doing. What he was doing was he was arousing her. And, and by the way, what is the, the, what is the first thing on a woman to be aroused? Her mind, there you go, some of you, yeah, uh-huh. And it's not the breast, let me just tell you that. It's her mind. He was arousing her mind, and we know that she liked it. He was, he was um, connecting with her emotions before sex, and some of you guys are going, dang, I don't want to do that. Well, that's why your sex life stinks. <laughs> you know, you just want to be obvious, or... or I'm being obvious. Um, he, he felt her... He, he, he felt her... Golly. I should not add lib at all here. Um, she felt cherished, loved, and connected. Ladies, how do you respond to your man when you feel cherished, loved, and connected? <laughs> Thank you, Jen. Jen said, let's go. We saw a Cosby thing where, he's, where she says, let's get it on. Well... Her RPMs are racing, and here's how I know. Now, Solomon doesn't quit. He goes another ten verses with this stuff. And you've got to see how she responds in, in verse 16. Awake, north wind. Come, south wind. Blow on my garden and waft its lovely perfume to my lover. Let him come into his garden and eat its choicest fruit. <laughs> come on, big boy. Let's get it on. She is inviting him into her garden. She's a willing sexual participant. And every man I've ever talked about this with, because I've been in lots of accountability groups, and you know, when, when men are 
when, when men are alone... By the way, if you want to know how to talk to a man, get him staring into a fire or driving down a dark road. Because men, if they don't have to look at each other, we'll talk like women. But we've got to be doing something so that we don't have to look at you. So get a man looking out the window, you know, at the stars at night. You can ask him anything. Sucker will tell you his heart. Be, have it, catch him poking a fire. Ask him his deepest, darkest secrets. He'll just pour out his heart to you. That's just a little bit. I, I just figured that out. Heard that the other day. Um, <laughs> men, if you want your wife to respond to you sexually, you're going to have to connect with her emotions. And every man I've ever met has said, I would rather not have sex than have my wife have sex with me out of duty. Every man I know wants his wife to enjoy sex. Sex for a man is better if his wife enjoys it. Because the male ego is the most fragile thing on the planet. Ladies, you knew that. Guys, we just hate to admit it. We, we're fragile. We may act tough. We may act like we've got it all together, and we don't. We are scared little boys on the inside. And when you reject your spouse repeatedly when it comes to sex, you are destroying who he is as a man. Now, we'll talk about how you handle that in in just a minute. So she says, come on, let's go. Now, men, listen to this. Um, Kevin Lehman, in his book called Sheet Music, writes this. When it comes to sex on a honeymoon or when I'm talking to men in general, I like to talk about sex ASAP. And the guy's going, yeah! But it doesn't mean as soon as possible. Here's what he says. Most people think ASAP means as soon as possible, but in this case it means sex as slow as possible. The new groom needs to have this slogan burned into his mind if he wants to give his wife a special evening. If only I'd known... My honeymoon was great except for the sex. Janie will tell you, it it was terrible. We didn't have a clue. People gave us romantic music, bubble bath, KY jelly, all of this stuff. But nobody told me how to romance my wife and connect with her emotions before we consummated the marriage. Man, if somebody just told me that. Now, I want to tell you, if you are engaged... Or if you're thinking the marriage thing, or if you, even if you've been married a long time and you think you got it all together sexually, you don't want me to ask your wife in front of witnesses how together sexually you have it. So here's some books that I just want to uh, recommend to you. There's one called Intended for Pleasure by Ed Wheat. There's another one called His Needs, Her Needs by Willard Harley. And there's another one called The Act of Marriage by Tim and Beverly LaHaye. Now, I want to read you the product description of this, The Act of Marriage by... Tim and Beverly LaHaye. And let me just say this. If you're engaged, do not read it with your future spouse. Because you will be aroused. I'm telling you. So you need to have a safe distance between you. Cold shower, whatever you need to do between you. But it will help you prepare. In fact, I know of pastors that won't let their couples read that until like the week before. Because they're just afraid that, that the temptation will become too great. Here's the the product description, act of marriage. For engaged couples and newlyweds who want to make lovemaking a joy from the start. For couples who have been married for years and want to maintain the flame or rekindle the embers. For every husband or wife who wants to be a better lover, here are the insights into each other's bodies, psychosexual makeup, and need for tender, unselfish affection that can help you achieve your goal. 
This updated and expanded edition gives a fresh, informative edge to an already definitive book. New sections discuss sex after 60 and five reasons why God invented sex. Now, the reason I say that about don't read it, one of my best friends and his best friend was a girl and they were not getting married to each other. And so they were just kind of reading along and talking to each other. And, uh, and she goes, maybe we should quit reading this. And he goes, yeah. And they, he took her home and, you know, they never got together again because both of them had been active sexually. They had crossed the line. And then this book starts describing how to do sex right from a Christian perspective. They could not handle it. They had to leave. They fled from sexual sin. So if you want to do better, then, then you get these books and, and you read. Now, we got to realize that men and women are different when it comes to sex, right? Anybody know that? You've noticed. Okay. Well, let's kind of describe that. Do we have that picture? This is kind of an older picture. But you see that, man, there's an on and an off. That's all it is. On switch, off switch. Now, the woman, this actually looks like it comes from one of those old space movies, but, you know, this kind of looks like the control panel for the space shuttle. You know, there are so many knobs, and if you don't know what you're doing, you are going to mess things up, guys. So we got to kind of learn some stuff here. If you want to use the whole appliance analogy, women are like ovens. Men are like microwaves. Now, women, an oven takes time to warm up, right, to preheat. Janie does this everything she cooks. She preheats the oven. See, I don't have time for that. I turn on the oven. I figure it can cook while it's warming up. I stick stuff in there because it's going to save time for me and and satiate my hunger sooner if I stick the biscuits in there, whatever I'm cooking. Janie follows the rules. Everything comes out nice. And when I'm hungry, I'm like, I don't care about nice. Well, same way when it comes to sex. If you think about a crock pot, how long does it take to fix something in a crock pot? All stinking day. I don't have that long. <laughs> well, we've got to, guys, if you want to connect with your wife and have the, the best sexual experience you can, you've got to start. Because for women, I've talked to a lot of women, sometimes sex is like number 10 on their to-do list. That's what they feel like. This is a duty. I've got to do all this stuff with the kids. I've got to wash them, bathe them clean, and I've got to do all of this stuff. And, and when I do all of that, then you want to have sex? Are you insane? Guys, like a microwave. Close the door, 30 seconds later the bell goes off. You know, guys, it doesn't take long to be ready. And a man, this is scary how quickly a man can shift gears. A man can be watching the ball game, see his wife, go have sex, and immediately say, What's the score? <laughs> And she'll smack him. Or he goes to sleep. Right, ladies? Y'all never experienced that, have you? <sighs> now, there was another thing. I read this in, in a book. This is another book, by the way, that's good if you want to rekindle the romance. Um, it's by Dennis and Barbara Rainey. And by the way, Janie, I read one of these things because the wife gives, gives women some, some romantic things you can do with the husband and the man does some, some romantic dates you can do for the wife. Well, I, I started reading these because I'm like, I want to know what the woman has to say. So I read the first one. I go, wow. I said, Janie, listen to this. And I read it to her. I wish I, I meant to make a copy. Actually, I'll try to bring a copy next week. And wives, take it. Try it. It will work. I guarantee you. Because Janie goes, would you like that? I go, yeah. So she tries it on me a couple of days later. Woo. Good stuff. Um, so 
I'll just, uh, and she said she was so glad that she wasn't going to be up here today since we were talking about sex and, you know, pastors and his wife never have sex, you know. Um, <laughs> Solomon understood that his wife was his partner and not his plaything. Guys, if we'll figure that out, we'll move up several rungs in the sexual satisfaction category. Do not neglect the time and effort it takes to become an artful lover. And if it's difficult for her, you know, to enjoy sex, because if, if for a woman, if sex is not connected to kindness, tenderness, gentleness, it's difficult for her to enjoy it. And if it's difficult for her to enjoy it, you know who else is going to be difficult for them to enjoy? Yeah, it's you guys. You've got to be a student of your wife, and it will pay off in the bedroom. Now, I asked Janie if I could share some personal stories today, and, you know, she's like, as long as it doesn't get too personal. So I want to show you, like, the number one aphrodisiac in my home. Guaranteed to start my wife's motor. You want to see it? Alex said he felt bad just touching this thing after I said that. Here it is, but wait, you got to get the full picture. It's my trimmer. Some our workers downstairs are going to be hearing this. I got to explain it. Um, our trimmer is right here. That's what I'm holding. Now, the last time when I trim, see, when you're old, you don't care what you look like. And, and I, I wear the straw hat, and I have no hair, and so the straw pokes into my head. So I have my little do-rag that I put on. I'm looking good. Wait, wait, it gets better. I have severe allergies. So I put this baby on. I don't want it to get in my contacts. And then i got to be protected from the sun. Now, you laugh. The last time... I was standing in my front yard like this. My wife pulls up in the driveway. I can't even see you. My glasses are fogging up. It's not just because I'm talking about sex either. I'm standing there. Janie pulls up in the driveway. She gets that look in her eye and she initiates sex. I said she initiated sex. I didn't say we had sex. Thank you for playing with now, it was much later because we have children. Yeah, one of them's here. I, I warned him that we were talking about sex today. Now, here's the funny thing. Hannah is in the car with her. And we went to a marriage um, seminar years ago. And the, uh, the speaker said that when he cleans the house and, and when his wife comes home and the dishwasher's running, she'll walk in she'll go, is that the dishwasher I hear running? And that means you're going to get lucky later tonight. Janie pulls into the driveway. I am sweating. I, when, I, when I trim, this sucker gets after it. There's grass from head to toe, stuff everywhere. I'm sweaty. I'm nasty. My wife pulls up, rolls down the window, and she goes, Is that the dishwasher I hear running? <laughs> and I said, Yeah. <laughs> now, what did y'all think I was going to pull out? You know, this is church. we got to... A broom. Yeah, Jeff said broom. Here's the deal, guys. When, when I serve my wife, when I help her with the kids, when I help her 
clean the dishes, when I help her vacuum, when I help her do all of this stuff, she doesn't see me as just another thing on her list when I need sex. And, and I said need. It is a need that each of us has. God created us as sexual beings. And um, Jenny and I have this very open relationship about sex. And we talk. And she said to me, I want to be the only woman that ever satisfies your needs. And I'm like, yeah, baby, that's why I chose you. I want you to be that woman. And so we have to have this open communication about this whole sex thing. When I do all of that stuff, then, then Janie says, come into my garden and ch- taste its choicest fruits. I love fruit. <laughs> now, I've been kind of tough on guys today. I want to finish with a couple more clips from Raymond, and then I got just a quick word to you ladies. preemptive strike. You're nuts. Admit it. You came in here to tell me you were tired, so, so I will leave you alone later. I did not. Why can't you admit it? Look, you're tired, right? You had a long day. So what's the last thing you would want to do later? Well, you might be right about that. <laughs> See? I know. I know when people don't want to have sex with me. talking to an expert. Okay, so let me ask you this. How come you're only picking up that I'm tired means no sex tonight? How come I'm tired doesn't also mean, gee, I could really use some help in the kitchen with all those dishes? What am I, a mind reader? too tired. Who says I'm not too tired? All I'm doing is reading. So you can stay up to read, but you can't spare two minutes for sex. Look, I'm sorry, Ray, okay? It's not like I'm trying to trick you. I am tired, and I thought I would do a little reading before I fell asleep. All right. There are other things we can do a little before we both fall asleep. I mean... We're not talking about running a marathon here. <laughs> just going to roll around a little, you know. I, I find it very relaxing and restful, but what the hell do I know? <laughs> you go ahead, go ahead. Ray, come on. Look, 
about the 19th century doesn't put you to sleep, how tired can you be? <laughs> so what you're saying is that you would rather read. Tonight, yes. Do me a favor, if there's people having sex in that book, could you read out loud? <laughs> If you are here with your spouse, I would like for you to look at them for just like two seconds. If you can hold it longer than that, good, but I'm afraid, you know. Now, you are looking at your only option sexually to fulfill your desires. And if your spouse is your only option, and you continually reject him, what do you think is going to happen to your marriage? Now, I'm not talking about, you know, just all the time saying yes. But if you're all the time saying no, then, then you're putting this big fat bullseye that the enemy will exploit on his back. And, you know, if you look at the Bible, and, and we don't have time to go into this, but just write this down. Read 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. Because according to the Bible, withholding sex is only okay if both of you agree and then only for a designated period of time and then only to pray. My wife has never said, honey, I'd rather pray tonight. Now, she has said, I feel horrible. And I go, okay, cool. But you know what she says? She says, how about tomorrow night? There, we have this 24-hour no deal. Because I think in 16 years of marriage, maybe twice I've said no. It's, if there's going to be a no, it's usually her side. I've got to be feeling bad. And, and she'll say, how about tomorrow? And here's the deal. Ladies, I'm telling you, don't you dare say, we'll do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow say, I can't. At that point, it becomes an act of service. And when you do that before God and you serve your husband, and I'm not talking about if you got the flu or, you know, if you're barking like a dog because you're coughing so bad. I'm not talking about that. But, but your man has a rhythm and you need to ask him. Some men are a once a week type guy. Some men are two or three times a week guys. You need to know your man's rhythm. And Janie is incredible about this because she'll say, Hey, I'm like, yeah, baby, I was thinking about that. Because she knows. But if she has to say no, it's a 24-hour no, and then the next night, I just know the next night I get to have sex. That's a good thing for a man. Because if you'll tell him, most men I know are also understanding enough to say, oh, okay. But don't ever tell him 24 hours and then, and then not hold up your end of the bargain. Because not only will he feel rejected, Satan will begin to plant thoughts of, he's not good enough for you. You don't want him. And then every woman image he can bring in front of that man, he will do to try to bring him down sexually. That's just the way the enemy works. And it doesn't have to be that way if we choose to serve each other. Now, if you have your registration cards, I'd like for you to fill those out.